Welcome back to the Sports Not Interview. And today we're joined by uh, our good friend, Armando Salguero from Outkick. He's a senior NFL writer there, longtime uh, NFL beat writer, too, in Miami. You name it, he's seen it. He's been there, done that. And we're glad to have him here today. Armando, thanks for being with us. Let's jump right in. I mean, one of the things that is remarkable coming out of Week 12 going into Week 13 was the Philadelphia Eagles. This team is so resilient, but scary to me because they seem to put it together at the end of games. We saw that with even Jalen Hurts, who now has beat 14 teams that have winning records in a row, by the way, had a stinker of a first half, comes out, has an MVP-like second half, and the Eagles uh, beat the Buffalo Bills. Uh, what is it with this Eagles team? They're so talented, yet it seems like they don't, pour it on until that second half. Is that going to come back to haunt them down the line? Well, I mean, obviously, Scott, it, it might. If you, you know, if you're in a situation where no matter how well you're playing late, you know, the game is out of reach, then, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't help you. But what the Eagles would say and their counterpoint to what we're saying here is we know how to finish and we know how to finish against anyone. And nobody finishes like us. And that's a hard argument to, 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 to counter because, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? They are a team that adjusts very well at halftime. Nick Sirianni and his staff are outstanding at that. They are a team that doesn't give up. They play 60 minutes. And like this last week, they play more than 60 minutes. <laughs> and so... Um, and, and it's always physical. They always beat people up. They always win at the line of scrimmage. It's a tough, it's a tough out for anyone that thinks that they're going to play the Eagles in January, maybe even February, and decide, yeah, we're going to be good early and see what you got late. That's a bad formula against the Eagles. Right, and, and that second half by Jalen Hurts, I mean, like I said, he's now beat – you, know, you can't say he beats bad teams. He's 14-1 and one and 14 in a row over teams with winning records. When you look at that second, did he catapult himself? I know Philly media has wanted him to be an MVP candidate. Is he now there uh, after that second half, or is it still a little bit – I mean, we got this game we're going to talk about in a second against the 49ers coming up on Sunday, but is he there? Is he an MVP candidate? Look, the best player on the best team typically is always an MVP candidate because they usually put up the best numbers. The problem with Jalen uh, is that his numbers are good, but they're not like eye-popping good. I mean, he is, he is so good at passing. He is so good at, you know, the tush-push touchdowns and all of that. So he's productive like the Dickens. But you know, when you're looking at other players that are, you know, they've got 20 touchdowns and we've got, you know, 25 touchdowns, whatever. And, and it, it, it turns into a statistical battle that he doesn't <laughs> always win the battle that he does always win. And typically wins, like you said, Scott, he just wins, dude. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I know that there was a, a an interview that he did, before he came into the NFL where the interviewer said, you only lost four games at Alabama and in college. Uh, in the NFL, 
that's not going to be your reality. And Jalen just sat there and goes, we'll see. <laughs> and, and dude, we'll see because he's, he hasn't lost those, those, those games. And he's, you know, all he does is win games, which is kind of a great thing to have on your resume. Oh, absolutely. And obviously they're 10 and one, they could be 11 and oh, really, but they're 10 and one. And, and there, and when you talk about the best teams in the NFL right now, you know, to me, four come to mind, of course, the Eagles, one of them and the San Francisco 49ers who they're going to play on Sunday in a huge, huge matchup. I've always thought Armando that the San Francisco 49ers had the most complete roster. That does not mean you're the best team, but clearly they're there with the Eagles. So we're going to get a lot coming out of this game on Sunday, when you look at this matchup and what San Francisco has done and what Brock Purdy has done, he went through the three-game losing stretch where people were like, hey, is this kid going to be able to overcome this adversity? He sure has, and he's catapulted himself into a conversation about being one of the league's best quarterbacks. Uh, when you look at this game and the 49ers and the Eagles, what's what's it going to come down to? With that late Eagles surge we just talked about in the second halves, San Francisco they're going to have to have a sustained effort to try to keep, to beat this team and kind of take that supremacy piece in the NFC, won't they? Yeah, there will be blood uh, <laughs> based on this game. Uh, they're just not among the best teams. They're among the most physical teams. And the whole 49ers three-game losing skid was weird to me because uh, on the one hand, you understand it because they didn't have Debo Samuel, they didn't have Trent Williams. There were there were pieces missing and and significant pieces of that. They're back, <laughs> and 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 so obviously the Niners are back, and we're going to see now at their best what they have against the Eagles. We haven't seen the Niners at their best against the Eagles. The NFC Championship game. You know, obviously, they played without a quarterback. And so uh, my assumption is that it's going to go where? Down to the wire. We've got the Eagles who know how to finish. The 49ers also, by the way, know how to finish. Um, I, I just love this game. I think it's going to be a, a feast for the eyes. And I say that, you know, having come off of Monday Night Football last night, <laughs> Yes, I, I'm still. I'm, I, need, I need hazard pay. I need hazard pay, Armando, for watching that game. Yeah, that was rough. And so, <laughs> yeah, that that game is what the NFL wants the NFL to be, and what the NFL wants fans to believe the NFL is about. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a, a knockdown dragout. I like what you said. There will be blood because. It's, it's going to be a heck of a matchup. I'm um, going around the league now, too. One of the things I want to talk about, I, I'm so excited, and I've been excited about uh, the emergence and, and the first season that C.J. Stroud has had. You just saw over the weekend a great matchup that we're going to see, hopefully, barring any kind of injuries or something else happening, in the AFC South between the Jaguars and the Texans, Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Stroud. Uh, are we really getting – was that the first glimpse – of what's going to become not only a great rivalry between teams in division, but also two of the emerging superstars at quarterback in the NFL. Absolutely. I wrote about this on OutKick uh, over the weekend. I mean, 
This is Peyton Manning against Tom Brady before, uh, you know, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were solidified as, as great. Obviously, the, the stakes between those teams or these two teams have not reached the heights of AFC Championship game year over year over year. Uh, and so nobody sees that or not very many people see that it's like that. But where is C.J. Stroud's ceiling? It's pretty darn high. Where is Trevor Lawrence's ceiling? It's it's just as high. And, and, and so when you figure that those two teams already split their, you know, their meetings this year, they're one, two in their, in their division, and they're going to play two games a year and vie for the same division championship for year after year after year. Um, yeah, this is going to get hot and hectic. This is, this is going to be interesting. The fact that some people say, well, you know, it's Jacksonville. We don't think that that's all that interesting. Really? Because Peyton Manning played in Indianapolis. Um, (laughs) He didn't exactly play in New York. So it doesn't really matter where you play, whether it's Indianapolis or Jacksonville. The cameras will find you and they will find the great rivalries. And, you know, I agree. And I I think that we're, we're at the birth of it. Yeah, and and, that, and and you're absolutely. I mean, look, it's a quarterback league. Okay, the quarterback is the most important position on the field, and so to your point, the NFL these guys are going to play twice a year. So you can bet that both of those games probably are going to be primetime games, a Sunday, a Monday, a Thursday, whatever they got going, because people want to see it. They're both superstars and personalities, and and they both have young teams. I mean, the Texans aren't even close to being uh, a complete team. The Jaguars a little further ahead in the in the building process. But it's going to be fascinating to watch. Also good to see young quarterbacks emerge, right? We've kind of gone through this little down period after the guys you talked about, after Brady, after Manning, all those guys retiring. Now we're starting to see that uptick with these young quarterbacks, which is great to see. Um, Which brings up the point, you know, Tom Brady uh, last week talked about some of the things he felt were going wrong with the NFL. One of which I found funny because he said, well you can't play physical anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, Tom, that's why you played till you were 45. You benefited from that, <laughs> number one. So I kind of dismissed that. But he had some other things that I want to ask you about because I think this is important with your time covering the league, which is something that I'm passionate about. He brought up the, the fact that in today's NFL, two things. One is you can't develop young players like you used to. So we're seeing what happened in Carolina. Bryce Young comes in, Frank Reich only lasts 11 games, the shortest stint for a new head coach since like 1970, I think it is. Um, and and he's not developed so far, as you've seen C.J. Stroud down in Houston. Um, are, are we getting into trouble here with the NFL with how quickly, because it's such a business, because it's entertainment, not just football, um, and, and are we maybe missing out on some athletes who could make it given the time now that that time frame is so small? Yeah, well, and specifically as the quarterbacks, which are – which is the hardest position, you know, in the game to play, you only get a certain amount of years before you have to make a huge decision on those guys. So, you know, you get four years and then you have to decide, are you going to, are you, are you going to uh, guarantee their, their contract for the, the following year? Is it, are you committed to the guy? And then if you're committed, 
you know, we're talking $270 million. Um, and so, and most of that guaranteed, not all of it, because not everybody's the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> having said that, yikes. Um, having said that, um, look, people want, we're in a society now where we don't want to wait five years. Teams don't stay together for five years. Uh, even the people within the game, they tell you uh, this year's team is different than last year's team. Why? The dynamics are different. The players, the roster, by almost by necessity, has to be you know changed over a lot. Um, you can't keep the dynasties rolling for 10, 15, 20 years. That's that's going to be hard to see because the salary cap has a say, and typically the salary cap wins every battle. Also, Father Time has a say, and he wins every battle. So the whole Tom Brady, you know, we don't have it like we used to. You know what What Tom Brady had? And, and I think Alex Smith made this point in the AFC East. Tom Brady had an annual... Uh, buy into <laughs> the playoffs. Why? Yeah. Well, because the Miami Dolphins weren't able to to muster any sort of, you know, they played well in the regular season against Brady, but against everybody else, they were a middling franchise. The Buffalo Bills didn't make the playoffs for 20-some-odd years. Uh, the Jets were, you know, like this, and outside of those two years where they backdoored into the playoffs and into the AFC championship game, they were, they were a mess looking for a quarterback and butt fumbling and, and, <laughs> you know, doing all that stuff. It was, it, it, that division was basically served on a platter for, yeah. for Tom Brady. And, you know, they, they maximized in the playoffs with home field advantage. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, right place, right time. You talk about that. It's just evident. Not nothing to take away from Tom Brady as a player, of course. But yeah, when right. your road is a, when your road is paved and nice and new versus a really bumpy one that you got to go do and miss potholes all the time, uh, it's 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 much easier. Uh, when we talk about coaches so far this season, you know, entering week thirteen, we've had two in season coaching changes. Obviously, in Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels, and then of course uh, just recently with Frank Reich in Carolina. The pressure on coaches today, too, you know, used to hire. I go back to when I was younger. You hire a coach by the third or fourth year. It was like, OK, you either started to do it or by the fifth year, you're kind of gone because these coaches would get three, four year contracts. Nowadays, as we've seen with Frank Reich, just like we talk about the, the speeding up of development of players and not giving them time. Coaches don't have time either, which also, by the way, Armando impacts how you commit to players, right? Because if I'm a coach and I know I got to win in two years and I got a young quarterback that I can see is going to take more than two years to develop, am I going to go with him? Of course I'm not. And if my front office will give me somebody different, I'll take them now because that is the cycle of coaching. Are we on, are we now in a situation where, boy, if you're a pro coach, uh, that long-term contract, while you might get paid, the chances you keep your job unless you win in year two are pretty thin. Yeah, so the NFL, going back to the Tom Brady thing, has changed in that it went from family-owned businesses to businesses that are now owned by um, 
corporate types. And what, yeah. what I mean by corporate types is billionaires, multi-billionaires who made their money in the corporate world or somewhere else, you know, who know, doing who knows what. Um, they have a lot of disposable income. They don't rely on the team keeping them, you know, in, in the black. They don't rely on the team producing for them monetarily so they can stay above the surface of, you know, the economic waters. And so they don't mind firing coaches and, and you know, kind of eating the contracts um, that might be $10, $20 million, $30 million overall and having to pay a new coach. They don't mind that. The new coaches... Uh, you know, obviously you got to pay their staff and you got to pay a bunch of people, but it's the price of doing business for these owners. And so they, they want instant, not instant gratification, but gratification that comes pretty quickly. We need to see results. And so now you get the David Tepper who's fired, you know, three coaches two of them in season, one of them after 11 months. Uh, but you know what? Does it really hurt his bottom line? No. Not at all. no. <laughs> he's, he's fine. He's still, got his, he's still got his hedge fund. He's still, he's he still good. He is so fine. It's not even yeah. funny. And, uh, you know, you still have those other teams that, that kind of are watching their pennies, the Chargers, the Steelers, even though, you know, they're not – family owned like they were mm -hmm. in the seventies anymore. The, the money is rolling in for the Steelers. Um, so my point is economically, it's now okay for these guys to move on pretty quickly. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't hurt them. And they want to see action. They want to see results and the easy, you can't change the roster. You can't flip a roster in one day. You can flip the head coaching spot, the general manager spot, the you know the the coaching tree. Yeah, and it's so funny you brought in that 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 the ownership, the type of owners today versus previously with family ownership. Because you're right, somebody like Tepper, uh, you have a bad quarter in the corporate world, and you're the CEO, you're gone, right? Or two bad quarters in a row, and you're gone. So that's what they're used to. So the the behavior. If you if you understand corporate world, you understand that that's not unusual, even though it's new for professional football, at least how we used to know it um, and 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 the business overall. Let me close on this, Armando, too, because you look at the NFL. We just came off a holiday weekend where they introduced the Black Friday game. Imagine that Amazon wants you to stay home on Black Friday so you don't shop so you can order online. Imagine. Um, but but all all of what the NFL, the NFL doesn't seem to do anything that doesn't work. Now, we know that nothing lasts forever and no, nobody's perfect. Right now, when you look at the NFL, what they're doing to market the product, how much the product is being consumed, because it's amazing, we can complain about stuff, we can go back to the issues with kneeling and all that, and people still watch, even though they were angry about it. Is there, what is, is there a blind spot for the NFL right now in, in this juggernaut that they've created, this entertainment machine that is bigger than anything uh, on television in the United States? What do you see out there that could possibly be an issue for them? Two things. Um, number one, 
I think when people watch the game now and they have any sort of history with the NFL, it's almost unrecognizable in that it's not as as physical as it used to be. Obviously, there's no you know no head hunting in the se- secondary. You can only hit the quarterback and you know in the torso. Um, th- they're protecting the health of the players. That's what the NFL is saying, but they're also affecting the speed and the anger and the physicality and violence of the game, which in the past was a major attraction to, you know, to, to fans. I mean, I remember back in the day we would have, um, we would have, what is it? Uh, the CBS pregame show and it's opening was three guys getting, you know, destroyed. Yeah. basically, because that's what the NFL is about. Watch us. Watch people collide. Um, right. So that they are toning that back, and some people are not liking that. Is it flag football? No, but I warn <laughs> you, the NFL is embracing flag football. It's not going to be flag football, but the NFL really likes flag football. Flag football. The other thing is the officiating. It's bad. Yeah. Um, there are very few games where you can leave the game and go, wow, that was a really well-officiated game. Uh, they, they lean on the replay. They don't make calls because they know someone else will, you know, either overhead or in New York. And so the officiating kind of bumps some people out when you see obvious replays of obvious missed calls that affect the outcome of games. And sometimes it turns people off. And and that's something that I think the NFL has to improve upon to make sure that those people that are getting turned off by, you know, chronic bad officiating, uh, you know, you got to relieve that. You got to uh, address that. Otherwise, you're going to lose some people. Yeah, and, and Armando, the, the last thing there, too, one of the things that I looked at, and, and I struggle with this because you can, you can tell from my sweatshirt, I, I, went to, I went to college in Las Vegas. My wife grew up, her parents uh, who came from Cuba worked in the casino industry because they knew it from Havana when they came here. Uh, so I've been around gaming for most of my life. And I look at gaming in the NFL because the NFL is obviously not only in bed with, but they're pregnant with. Uh, uh, legalized gaming, right? Gambling has become a big part of the NFL. And I wonder sometimes, sometimes I think it's good, and then sometimes I think it's not so good. When you look at that impact, too, people, I think some people now uh, are watching the games for that reason versus watching it for other reasons. And what, what do you think that overall impact so far? It's still early days. It's only been a few years. But when you look at that, too, what do you think the impact on gaming has had on the NFL and, and fans? Well, it's a moneymaker for the NFL. And I remind people that the NFL is a game, is a sport, but it's a business. And anything that brings in money (laughs) is going to be something that the league wants to embrace. Uh, I guarantee you if the league could make more money televising fewer games, they would televise fewer games. If the league could make more money um, you know, putting these guys in in pinstripes and making every un- uniform avocado green and pink, they would do that. They do it. <laughs> uh, because why? 
money. Uh, it, it drives the sport, and obviously gaming is a huge factor in that. I remember when I started covering the NFL, every time you'd go in a locker room, you'd see the big sign. You know, no gambling, no, you know, do not in, engage, do not involve yourself, stay away, beware of big, <laughs> you know, gambling dog that will bite you and you're out. Those signs, uh, they're not around anymore and they're not, or they're not as big. So it, the league has flipped itself on basically uh, 180 degrees and it is absolutely embracing gaming. And, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if this was the 70s in Vegas, <laughs> there would be some people be involved yes. that, that you wonder whether you want yes. them involved. But again, that's also kind of a corporate situation as well now. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, the big corporations, MGM, and now, now even ESPN, their broadcast partner owns a sports book, right? So, so they're, 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 they're intertwined forevermore now when it comes to the NFL. Uh, Armando, uh, thanks so much. Of course, Armando Salguero is the NFL's senior writer over at OutKick. We certainly appreciate you being with us, and we'll catch up with you uh, maybe towards the playoffs. Truly a pleasure, Scott. 